turn your attention to Matthew uh, chapter 2, and we want to read uh, three verses in your hearing, starting with verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now skipping down to verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. Notice they're now in a house and it's not a baby, it's a young child. And they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, a place to worship. A place to worship. Would you one more time just worship him with your hands and with your heart and with your voice? Lord, we have come into your house today to praise you. We have come into your house to worship you. You've already blessed us with your presence and we thank you for that, God. But Lord, we come now to just glorify you through the preaching of your word, the receiving of your word, the response to your word. And God, we say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to sit in heavenly places. Thank you, Lord, that you are present with your people. You are here, Lord, and we worship you and glorify you let our hearts and lives be changed by your word today in the name of jesus christ and everybody said amen. amen you may be seated and thank you for standing the journey of the wise men or the magi as we sometimes refer to them is a very unique study I was reading some over the last couple of weeks and learned some things that I did not know. Many uh, commentaries and even theologians believed that these wise men that came were the descendants of Queen Esther. This is interesting because Esther, as a Jewish girl, was put in a unique place to become the queen of Media Persia. Two empires, Media and Persia, that had joined together and had conquered Babylon, who had conquered Israel, and many of the Jewish people were transferred as slaves. This was a unique position that Esther was placed in, now becoming the queen of this uh, foreign empire, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. How many of you believe that God can raise up spirit-filled apostolic people to put them in unique places for such a time as this? But according to the Old Testament law, because she had married a king of another country, she would not have been allowed to go home to Jerusalem or to go to the temple to worship even after the captivity ended but history shows us that Esther put something in the hearts of her children and her friends that gave them a hunger 
and a desire to worship the one true God. This morning, I would ask that you consider the fact that these wise men traveled more than 900 miles over two years and immediately fell down and worshiped, opened their treasures and gave gifts when they saw Jesus. Matthew tells the story of the wise men traveling from the east and going to King Herod to try and find this child savior. They were royal diplomats, so they went to the king first. They did not go as some sort of vagabonds that had wandered into the Holy Land area. They, they went from the palace. They represented the wealth of Persia. And so they went to King Herod first then. As royal diplomats, King Herod gave them audience. And there Matthew tells the story. What's interesting is Luke tells the story of the shepherds in the field watching their flocks by night when the angels proclaimed to them that a Savior was born in Bethlehem. So we use the accounts of Matthew and of Luke and we piece together a timeline of the events that took place immediately after the birth of Christ. We often have the wise men in the stable with the shepherds when we do our nativity scenes. But we know that it was much different than that. Luke tells us that when Jesus was born that night that the shepherds came to the place of birth. They would have been in Bethlehem, in the stable. The angels proclaimed in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The angel went on to say, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Luke goes on to say, The shepherds made haste that night and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So we know that the shepherds were in the manger. Luke does not mention anything about Herod. He doesn't mention anything about the wise men or Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt. And Matthew does not mention anything about shepherds and Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem. So you have both of these accounts that you have to put together to establish the timeline. From Luke's account, we know that Mary and Joseph have Jesus circumcised eight days after he is born according to the Old Testament law. Most likely, they did not have to go to the temple in Jerusalem for this, but this was an event that oftentimes the priest would even go out to the house, as was the case with John the Baptist. But at least 40 days later, they go to Jerusalem, to the temple, in accordance to the purification time that a mother was given whenever she gave birth to a son according to the Old Testament. We read about that, and it is even referenced in the book of Matthew. You reference it now back to Leviticus chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8. Luke specifically refers to this Old Testament law in his account. Mary and Joseph were very focused on fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies and, and doing their part as dutiful parents. And so if a mother gave birth to a son, there was a 40-day purification process, a period of time that they went through. But then after that, they were instructed to go to the temple. Luke says that they bring the child to the temple for a blessing and to offer the sacrifice of two turtle doves and or two young pigeons, which Leviticus refers to in Leviticus 12 and in Leviticus 15 as a sacrifice that people could do if they could not afford a lamb sacrifice. 
If they could not afford a lamb, they could bring these turtle doves or pigeon doves. Remember that money was an issue when Jesus was born. But it also shows us that Mary and Joseph have not yet received the gifts from the wise men or they could have afforded a lamb sacrifice. Leviticus 12 also says that this had to be done during the first year of the child's life. So we know that at least 40 days after Jesus is born, but not more than a year after the birth, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, they meet an elderly devout man named Simeon, and he has been praying that he would see the Christ before he died. When Simeon held the child at the temple, he immediately knew that he was the Christ. And he began to worship. And he says, and I quote, Mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. The Bible says that Mary and Joseph marvel. They not told anyone And they were in the temple in Jerusalem with a holy man named Simeon. And he's prophesied of the Gentiles and who this baby child Jesus is. At the same time, Anna, an 84-year-old lady who is a prophetess, she serves God with fasting and prayer night and day. She doesn't even leave the temple. She's that dedicated. She immediately begins to worship and to give thanks for the child, recognizing through the Holy Spirit, who this child is. Now let me for just a moment today deviate from the timeline so that I can point to something that I believe is very important. From the moment that Mary found out that she was expecting baby Jesus, she worshiped. She visits her cousin Elizabeth after learning that she would give birth to Jesus, the Savior. And Elizabeth, her cousin, who is now six months pregnant with John the Baptist, lives in the hill country of Judea, says that when Mary just came into the house and saluted or gave a greeting, that immediately, immediately, Elizabeth and the babe that is within Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary. And there is joy. There is this innermost peace and joy that causes worship to come from their innermost being. At the birth, we know that at the very least, shepherds came and worshiped. And then in Jerusalem, at least 40 days later, two strangers that they've never met but minister at the temple also worship. Do you see what the common denominator is? Everything to do with Christ is centered around worship. I stand today to declare to you that if you want to know God, you better learn how to worship because everything to do with Jesus is all about worship of the King of Kings. Jesus. Everything that God did with the plan of salvation, starting with the incarnation of God in Bethlehem, was to bring man into his presence. The word gift is mentioned 43 times in scripture. And every different way you look at the gifts that God gives to man, you can always find the common denominator is the opportunity 
to be in the presence of God. The greatest gift that God has given man is the opportunity to be in his presence. Psalm 16 and 11 says, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I can come into the presence of a holy God. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, there's something inside a man or a woman or a boy or a girl that immediately wants to worship God. Jesus. When the Lord gives us the opportunity to be in his presence, we then reciprocate with worship. There's something about the presence of God that evokes worship. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not any different today than it was 2,000 years ago. When we have the opportunity to gather in His presence, worship comes from our inner most being. We focus on gifts at this time of the year, but the real gift is the presence of God. I heard one man say the past is history. And the future is a mystery, but the present is a gift. And that's why they call it the present. It is a present. We have the gift of this moment. What will we do with this gift? I choose to worship. I choose to lift my voice and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that in me is. It doesn't mean that I don't have trouble. It doesn't mean that you don't have trouble. You could have sickness in your family. You may be going through a time of heartache. But bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that in me is. From the rising of the sun till the going down of the same, his name shall be praised. Hallelujah. All I can tell you is what people have done from the very beginning of the incarnation of Christ. They worship. They worship. 2,000 years later, we serve the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you want to know where Jesus is? Find out where he's being worshipped. Because where people are worshiping God, that's where Jesus is. Jesus. How do we know where and when to worship? How do we recognize this opportunity to be in his presence? I believe there are at least three things that we can extract from this story to help us answer these questions. The first thing that we see that is clear in all of the different accounts and all the different encounters is that there is direction that is given. They all received direction, but especially the wise men. If you pick up the timeline now with Matthew and his focus on the wise men and Herod and Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt, we're not exactly sure when the Magi came to Jerusalem looking for the child, but there are some clues. When Matthew records the journey of the wise men, the Bible says the wise men went to Herod first. King Herod, of course, living in 
And Jerusalem and Herod was threatened by the news of this new king that was supposedly being born in his kingdom. So he asked the scribes and the chief priests to search the law and to find out what the prophecies say about where the Savior would be born. Not because he believed the prophecies and the law, but because he knew the people would believe the prophecies and the law. Well, they came back and they said to Herod that it appears from the prophecies of the Old Testament law that he would be born in Bethlehem. Herod then tells the wise men from Persia that if you'll go and find him and bring him to me so that I may worship him also. That was a lie. He had no desire to worship this baby Jesus. He had a desire to wipe out any potential political opponents. We know that the wise men have spent two years in the desert trying to get to this baby Jesus. We don't know if they started this journey before Jesus was born or after he was born. When they leave Herod, they follow a star. (laughs) They don't follow Herod. They follow a star. You better be careful where you're getting your marching orders from. Are you getting your belief system from the news and from our culture and from all of the fads coming out of Hollywood? Or do you get your instructions from the Word of God? That's an important distinction. Because everything that's out there is not as it appears to be. We're not serving the God of this world. We're not interested in what Herod has to say. We found a star in the sky. We found a God, hallelujah, that says, uh, don't get too comfortable because this world is not your home. Good God Almighty, I feel the Holy Ghost. You better not look at this world. There's something in the eastern sky that you ought to look to. There's a Savior. There's a coming King. There is a Lord who is coming back for his church. Jesus. They follow the star and the star takes them to a house. It doesn't say where the house is. We know he's most likely under the age of two, possibly even around one. We know this based on two things because when Herod finds out that the wise men aren't coming back to report to him because they've been warned of an angel not to go back after they are directed to Christ. So they, they don't go back to Herod, they go back to Persia. Then the Bible says that Herod, according to the time that the wise men gave him, decided to kill all two-year-old babies in the Bethlehem area. So we know that based on that time frame, we're looking at, and maybe it was around one year and Herod wanted to you know, give himself some room, some margin of error. So he went to two. But it's somewhere under two, possibly around one, but up to two. When Herod makes this decree that he's going to, we don't know where he is, and we don't know who he is, but he's just got this scorched earth policy that he's going to take out everybody. He says two years or younger. The wise men, and we say Three, the Bible doesn't say three. We think three because there's three gifts. But if you look at the custom, if you look at other dignitaries as they came to Jerusalem, even during the times of Solomon, there 
A lot of commentaries say there were possibly 12 that were a part of this convoy. They brought tremendous wealth. It wasn't just some little trinklet. Some little something out of a bubblegum machine. That we <laughs> portray in our little Christmas pageant. This, this was a tremendous amount of wealth that these group of people brought from Persia. And they were being directed by this divine GPS guidance system, if I can say it that way. Long before we had satellites in the sky, we had a savior in the sky. Oh, hallelujah. You say, Pastor, do you think that God can direct me? I'm here to tell you, if you give God a chance, he'll tell you where to work, who to marry. If you'll really pray and say, God, not my will, but thy will be done, he will give you divine direction. The Bible does not say in Matthew where the house is. Most likely it's in Bethlehem, because that's where Herod sent his execution squads. But it just says that the star led them to a house. Not a, not a manger, a house. And after the wise men worship, they give their gifts, they depart, and they go back to Persia. Now, at this point, most likely, Mary and Joseph are in a house, most likely in Bethlehem. It could have been Jerusalem, but most likely Bethlehem. And the reason we believe that is because Matthew says that they fled from Bethlehem to go to Egypt. So we know that they're in Bethlehem when they're warned of an angel to go to Egypt because Herod is going to go on this killing rampage and the angel warns them of this after the visit from the wise men. It's possible because Joseph was from there that he had friends or family members and maybe they were allowing him to stay in a home. We know that money was tight. That was most likely the scenario. This means that Mary and Joseph were staying in Bethlehem and they only went to Jerusalem to the temple for a short visit to fulfill the law. That makes sense because it's unlikely that they would have packed up all of their belongings just to go to Jerusalem for offering sacrifices. It's also interesting that Matthew does not describe him here as a baby, but says he's a young child. We read that in Matthew 2.9 and Matthew 2.11. What is important to note at this point is that God is directing all of the players supernaturally. There is one point that is somewhat unsettling, and that has to do with the description of when they leave Jerusalem. Luke says that they go back to Nazareth. It appears when you read the text that the text is saying they leave Jerusalem and go to Nazareth. But yet we've got all of this that happens in Matthew. Some people say, well, then the stories don't match up. But when you really read the account in Luke, you'll see that Luke says they go to Nazareth, and they do get to Nazareth eventually. But then two verses later, he skips to Jesus being 12 years old, and then Mary and Joseph going back to Jerusalem on a yearly basis for the feast of the Passover. I want you to get your brain around this little thing right here that's so easy to skate by. Mary and Joseph who has the Savior in their home. 
still goes to church. People say, I don't have to go to church now. I can watch it on television. I have to ask them, is Jesus your offspring? If anybody had a right to stay home, it was Mary and Joseph. Jesus is in their house. But the Bible says every year without fail, tremendous financial sacrifice, tremendous sacrifice of their time, they all go down to Jerusalem. Come on, Jesus, where are we going? We're going to Jerusalem. I don't think he ever said, but mom, dad, I'm the savior of the world. I've heard comedians say, can you imagine what it was like being a sibling to Jesus? How come Jesus doesn't sit in the tub like all the other kids do? How come when we all eat fish sticks, he's got more fish sticks than the rest of us? I don't know what it was like. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't tell us what it's like being raised in this house with Jesus. But all of a sudden, Luke jumps to 12 years old, and he says every year they went down to Jerusalem to the temple. You know why? They had found a place to worship. And it don't matter who you are or where you're from. It don't matter if you're a wise man from Persia, you're a shepherd from the fields of David, or you're Simeon in the temple, or Anna, a prophetess who fasts and prays every day, or Mary and Joseph, or Elizabeth, or John the Baptist, who is not even born yet. Everybody, when they come in contact with Jesus, they begin to worship. You know why? There's something about finding a place to worship. It is a valuable thing. I love hearing about how God divinely directs people to church. Sister Marjorie testified the other day we were talking in the Welcome Center, and she said, it was a number of years ago, Pastor, but I, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I was driving down Emerson. I don't even think the church had been here very long. She said, as I drove by, the Lord spoke to me and said, you are to go to that church. She said, I stopped right up here by Fred Lee Park, turned around, came back, sat in the parking lot and prayed and cried. And the Lord said, this is the place I have chosen for you to worship. I believe that God directs us. I'm so thankful that we have a place to worship, to be in the presence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's more than convenience. It's more than personal preference. It is divinely inspired by God. And if, ladies and gentlemen, you're convinced of that, can I tell you that nothing will drive you from church? Even if you get in an argument with your brother or your sister, it's not going to drive you from church. Even if you don't like the preacher, it's not going to drive you from church. Even if you don't like the instruments, it's not going to drive you from church. Even if you don't like drums, it's not. I found a place to worship God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. She got a rubble sata.
I don't know why I feel this because I don't have it in my notes. I don't care if the church was giving away $100 bills. You couldn't get me to go to a church where you couldn't feel God. I don't care what they had. I don't care how big the building, how many people. I don't care if they're giving away chicken dinners. If you can't feel God, I'm not signing up. I want to know where Jesus is. I want to worship where Jesus is. I've got to know him. I just want to be with him. Would you lift up your voices and would you lift your hands and would you worship God? Jesus. Let me stay right here and be pastoral for just a moment. Not only were the wise men directed where to go, they were directed where not to go. Don't go back to Herod. God will direct you where not to go. Don't override that. If God is telling you not to associate with some people, don't override that. It's for a reason. If God is directing you not to go to a certain place or a certain establishment, there's been restaurants I've walked down them. I didn't know why, but I just knew I didn't belong there. You better heed that direction because God is giving you some kind of a spiritual guidance. And you better find a place where you can worship God. You better get with a group of people that when you're with them, you're closer to God, not further from God. You better find, ah, you better find an atmosphere where the presence of God is. For the miracle that come to fruition, even this miracle of God incarnate in flesh. There were some places to avoid. The Spirit directed them to go to Egypt. The Spirit directed the wise men to not go back to Herod. Some precautionary measures have to take place for the miracle of His presence. For the miracle of His glory to inhabit a certain domain. There have to be walls built. There has to be precautionary measures so that you and I can come into his presence with singing. There has to be barriers built around your heart, around your eyes, around your mind to say, I want to come into your presence, God. I don't want anything to distract me. You're directing my steps. When the wise men come into the house and they see the young child, they fall down in worship. Here they are, royalty. But they fall down in worship. Regardless whether it's a manger or a house. Regardless if it's a baby or a young child. The reaction is the same. They worship. It matters not how long you've been in church. It's all about worship. I've heard people say, well, I've been saved for 30 years. Now I'm going to let all the new converts worship. You need to get re-saved. 
It matters not if you're from the east, Jerusalem, or in the shepherd's field. When you get in his presence, it's a place to worship. Matters not if you're from the Caribbean, if you're from Europe, Asia, Africa, or the American Samoan Islands. It don't matter what you look like, no matter how tall, short, fat, skinny, pretty, ugly, everything's beautiful when a man or a woman bows down and worships God. It don't matter how much money you got or how much you don't got, it's a place to worship. I got to hurry. At this point, most likely within a year of his birth, armed now with the gifts from the wise men, Mary and Joseph have the money to heed the direction of the angel, so they flee to Egypt. Herod is in a jealous rage, and he's killing all of the children under two years old. I love this fact that God provided the finances before directing them to Egypt. Part of understanding the direction of God is understanding that God does not give you direction without giving you provision to accomplish the mission. If he's given you a vision, he's going to give you provision. They stay in Egypt until Herod dies, and then they're released to return. But when they hear that his son, who's got the same killing nature of his dad, is on the throne, they're not comfortable going there. So even though they've been warned of the angel that they could go back, they decide to go back to Nazareth. All of this moving around was all fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. It wasn't just wandering around here and there because we don't know what to do now. Every step they took fulfilled another prophetic word. You don't even realize it. You've been through some stuff this year and you're like, I don't know how. You don't realize that God is directing you around some things to fulfill a promise, a seed, as Bishop said, that he has put in your heart and in your spirit. It's going to grow to fruition. It's going to produce life. They say, well, we'll go up to the north his other son, Herod, Antipas is up there. He's a little milder. So they go up to Jerusalem, all of that fulfilling the word of God. Now here's what's interesting. This is one reason why the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, scribes and Pharisees, and all that Jerusalem temple crowd, this is one reason why they rejected Jesus and saw him as an imposter. When the ministry of Jesus begins, they see Jesus as being from Nazareth. And they say, what good thing could come out of Nazareth? They missed the fact that he was born in Bethlehem. You know why they missed it? Because they didn't worship him. When you don't worship God, you miss the revelation. All these scientists with pointy heads in all of these school laboratories, and they all say, we don't believe that there is a God. I'm going to tell you why you don't believe there's a God. I don't care how smart you are. If you don't worship God, you won't get the revelation that there is a God. He doesn't take rocket science. I was in Bangladesh with my wife and another team of people that Robin that was with who will be here tonight. And we saw, we saw thousands of Hindus and Buddhists, Buddhists that people worshiping, putting their children up and asking us to pray for in the name of Jesus. You know why? Once they knew that Jesus was the name of the one true God, the power and the authority that came with that name. They worshiped Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue shall confess. Everyone in the story that worships gets a revelation of who the baby is. He is the Savior. There's something about worship and revelation that goes together. You can't worship God without getting a revelation of who He is. I challenge you in the Holy Ghost. You just start to worship Jesus out of obedience. You're going to get a clear picture that everything I need is in Him. My provision, my strength, my help, my joy. It's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead. And it's all in Him. That's not just all of His manifestations. That's everything that I need is in Him. Everything that I need is in Him. I got a revelation that if I worship Jesus, it'll all become clear. Sometimes we worship based on obedience. Sometimes we worship following the revelation of who Jesus is. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they never worshiped, so they never got a revelation of who Jesus is. And then the third common denominator is inspiration. Not only direction, not only revelation, but inspiration. It's the Holy Ghost that's providing the inspiration. It's the Holy Ghost that's overshadowing Mary. It's the Holy Ghost that gives understanding and clarity to Joseph about the pregnancy of Mary. It's the Holy Ghost that's inspiring and directing the wise men. It's the Holy Ghost giving direction to the shepherds through the angels to announce the birth of Christ. You cannot separate worship from the Holy Ghost. Where do we worship? Where the Holy Ghost is. That's where we worship. We found the place of worship. How do you receive the Holy Ghost? You receive the Holy Ghost through worship. You repent of your sins, but then you lift your hands and say, To God be the glory. I will bless the Lord at all times. You are the King. You are the Lord. You are my Savior. I love you and I worship you. And the Holy Ghost dwells in that atmosphere. So in closing today, Esther. God uses you to marry the king of Media Persia so the children of Israel can be spared. Esther, you can't go to Jerusalem or ever return to the temple, but the inspiration of the Spirit of God has prompted you to put it in the hearts of your children. You see, Esther has a son with the king of Media Persia. His name is Darius II. He becomes king. And he is the one who is responsible for the second temple being built in Jerusalem. Ezra says that everything was at a standstill with the temple being built in Jerusalem. Even under Cyrus, Ezra explains to us that their purpose was frustrated. But in the second year of King Darius' reign, this was something that was at the top of his agenda. Only the second year of his reign... Bible says in Ezra chapter 6 that he makes a decree and he says, and I quote, Moreover, I make a decree what ye shall do with the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God. Not a house of God. The house of God. That of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, 
Those that paid their taxes to media purge because of their expansive empire. Forthwith expenses be given unto these men. Who? Those that are building and working on the temple. Those that are teaching the law in the temple. That they be not hindered. And that which they have need of both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven. Wheat, salt, wine, and oil according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem. Let it be given to them day by day without fail. We're not going to let anything hinder them. Because they're working at the house of God. Woo, hallelujah. We're not going to let it fail day by day. That they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven. You don't think he knew this was not just a God. This was the God of heaven. Darius, you're king of media, Persia, most powerful. What do you care about a temple being built in Jerusalem? Something was put in his heart as a child. This is a place of worship. That temple is important. And he says, and pray for the life of the king. I want that crowd praying for me. There's a whole bunch of people that aren't in church this morning. But they get in trouble, they're going to ask you to pray for them. Oh, yeah. They'll come over and ask you to pray. I've got neighbors in my neighborhood. I don't think they've ever come to church, but they'll come over and knock on the door. Would you mind praying for my husband? He's just been diagnosed with cancer. Let's go. We walk over to the house. You know why? They value your prayers. Darius said, I want them keep on sacrificing, keep on working, and I want them to pray for the life of this king and his sons. Also, I've made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hanged thereon and let his house be made a dunghill. He said, not only am I going to give them provision, not only am I going to give them the manpower and the money and the motivation, but if anybody tries to stop them, <laughs> and the God that hath caused his name Everybody say his name. name. To dwell there. Destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. Esther, you may not be able to go back there. But long after your death, it's in the next generation. It's in the king of Media Persia. We have a place of worship. That chapter concludes by saying that Darius strengthened the hands of the work in the house of God. I don't know what your past is. I know one thing. You've got this gift of the present right here. And you have found a place to worship. You've got an opportunity to come into the presence of the King of Kings this morning. So the question for you and for me and for all of us is what will we do with this opportunity? Would you stand to your feet? Thank you, Jesus. Worship God, not only for what he's done for me, 
not only for who he is, but I worship God for the next generation and the next generation. Next generation. Pray that one day the next generation has to build a building twice the size of this. Because we found a place to worship. We have found a place that he inhabits with his presence. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future with political empires and nations rising and falling. Ladies and gentlemen, I stand today before you with all confidence that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has given us a place to worship. I know it'd be hard for all of you to get here at the altar, but I wonder if those of you that can and you feel a specific desire to do this today, I wonder if you'd step out from where you're standing and I wonder if you would just come and bring the gift of your worship on this, on this Sunday, just two days before Christmas. I'm going to ask us today not to pray for anything for ourselves. But all over this building, the front and the back, the sides, the aisles, I wonder if everybody in this place could just, for a few moments today, worship Him, glorify Him. As the shepherds and the wise men, as those that were in the temple. Maybe there's a Simeon here, maybe there's an Anna. Maybe there are some magi who have traveled a long ways to get here. There were times that you never thought you'd find them. Some of you maybe that have wandered. Some of you that just like the shepherds have been faithful in the field. And God has revealed to you a supernatural place of divine worship. But within your heart today, regardless of where you're coming from, You're in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so you will lift your hands and your voice. And you will take this opportunity to worship Him. Would you do that right now?
you'd lift your hands right now, would you lift your voice? Oh, there's such a beautiful presence of God right here. I know we're all in a hurry, but I feel just a, a sense of lingering right now in His presence. If you'll spend just a few moments in His presence right now, God will take care of a lot of things you've been struggling with. I'm just going to worship you, Lord. I'm just going to worship you, Lord. I just want to be with you, Lord. I just want to be with you. 